This is the last uh, of the talks in the longest series that we've ever done so far in Smith. Uh, since the middle of January, we have been following the life of Abraham uh, from Genesis 12 uh, right up to this point. And as we look back on Abraham and his life, we realize it is dominated by one thing, that is, the promises of God, isn't it? Everything he does, everything that happens to him, is somehow or other linked back to the promises. He moves from one country to another because of God's promises. He moves around his new country because of God's promises. He makes mistakes and the promises are under threat. God saves the day, confirms his promises. God even changes his name to reflect the promises. And in his life he begins to fulfill those promises that he made to Abraham. Well, for those of you who are new to this, or those who have forgotten, let me remind you about those promises and how they started. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave home, to go to a new land where he would show him. And what are the promises he made him when he said that? He promised to make him into a great nation, many descendants. He promised to give him a land that he would show him, the land of Canaan. And he promised to bless him and his descendants and through him all the nations of the world were going to be blessed. So the promises to Abraham were essentially a picture of the reversal of the fall. The uh, incident when human beings first rebelled against God and were punished. See, when they sinned, what happened? Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. God's place. But now God was promising to give Abraham a new place. Adam and Eve were no longer God's people, but now God is going to make a new people for himself from the descendants of Abraham. And because of sin, the world which had been blessed was now coming under God's curse. But now, God was going to bless again. And blessings would flow on Abraham and his descendants to the world. Now we know that God made more promises to Abraham along the way, but they were all clarifications and expansions of these basic promises. Land, people, and blessing. So those promises were the very first thing we read about back in chapter 12. Now our passage today comes at the end of Abraham's life. Everything is winding down. Abraham has had Isaac, the son of promise. And God had promised that Isaac was going to replace him so the promises will go on. Abraham's even found a wife for Isaac through his servant. Isaac is now married to Rebekah last week that God had appointed for him, ready to have children. His descendants would be the ones for the promises. And you'd have thought that, you know, we could finish here. Right? He can could, he could safely die. Everything is settled with regards to his descendants. And then we read this in Genesis 25, verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Someone at the ACA commented to me that um, the last bit of Genesis 24, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death 
They thought maybe that once Abraham has arranged for a wife for Isaac, he thought he might get comforted after his wife's death and, and taken her wife. Well, verse 2, she bore him Zimran, Zoksran, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Six more sons in his old age. Isn't that amazing? Now, what is the point of that? Abraham doesn't need them, does he? God doesn't need them. I mean, it's, it's through Isaac the promises are going to go forward. Why does God give Abraham six more extra sons in his old age? Well, the answer is because he's like that. God is working out his plan. That is the main game. He fulfills his promises. That is the main game. And then he just extra gives generously on the side. We can't expect him to give things that he hasn't promised. We can't complain if he doesn't. But God is also kind and generous and gives all kinds of extra blessings, all kinds of bonuses that that are not promised, that we can't demand, but we can and must be thankful for. Just look at your own life and you'll see how many unpromised gifts God has given you. Sometimes we call them a technical term for that is uncovenanted blessings. Right? Uncovenanted blessings. This covenant means a promise or a treaty. Uncovenanted means that it wasn't promised. It's a bit like this. Um, let's say Kelvin here, who is doing the service just now. Let's say Kelvin is a great tycoon. All right? All right? Now, somehow or other, you end up owing Kelvin 10 million ringgit. Right? And you have absolutely no way to pay. Right? 10 million ringgit, you work every day for the rest of your life, you're still not going to get 10 million ringgit. Instead of demanding it from you, though, Kelvin says, I'm actually going to give you a gift of a hundred million ringgit. Right? Now, I can't think it does a hundred million. Can you imagine a hundred million ringgit? Can't imagine, right? It's too big. Right? So, what happens when you have a hundred million ringgit from Kelvin? Well, first of all, that cancels your debt entirely, doesn't it? He gives you a contract note promising you a further 80 million in time to come. And he gives you another 10 million now to enjoy as a deposit of what is to come. And you're not a middleman for a contract or anything like that either. Alright? This is just his being generous to you. Now that is what God has done for us in Christ. Through the death of Jesus, God has forgiven us a massive debt that we owe, that we could never pay. He has cancelled our debts. Not only that, he has promised us a future inheritance with him in glory, so big that we can't imagine. And he's given us his spirit now, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All these things are covenanted blessings, promised ones. Now, let's suppose that Kelvin's also the kind of guy who likes to be generous in small ways with his friends, you know? One day he come up, come round, hey, let's go, Makan, and I, you know, I give, you, I buy you some chocolate, yeah, all right. And then another day you might be sitting in your room, 
at work or whatever, and suddenly he appears and says, hey, 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 got some, got some supal, you know, come, 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 right? These aren't covenanted blessings. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't formally promise them. He doesn't just give it to people he's got a contract with either. He, all kinds of people he shares his things with. It's just, just him being really generous. You can't sit in your office and say, oh, I'm really hungry today. Why doesn't Calvin come and bring chicken rice to me? You know, I, he, he must. No, no, it's just extra. After forgiving you 10 million, after giving you another 10 million, after promising you 80 million, you can't doubt his generosity. Right? If you're feeling hungry, you can't complain that he didn't drop in and give you some food. But when he does, they say, oh, that's really nice, thank you. And friends, God is like that too. He makes the sun shine and the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He gives special blessings and gifts to people as he sees fit. All of us are beneficiaries of his uncovenanted blessings as well as his promises. Think of your life. What things, what gifts has God given you that he never promised that he would? Has he given you health? Has he given you material blessings? Has he given you family? Friends? People who care for you? Oh, if so, be thankful for them. These are God gives big promise gifts, the really big ones. Salvation in Christ, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, all promised by God. And on top of that, he gives us all these little ones as well. can ask for unpromised gifts. We can't demand them. Can't claim them. We can't be sure that he's always going to give what we ask. But if there are good reasons why he hasn't given us particular things that we want, then we know there is a reason, isn't there? There must be. God promises, one of God's things that he does promise is that he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things So, God gave Abraham a stack of unpromised children. This was his prerogative. Some of Abraham's kids were having kids as well. So, in verses 3 and 4. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letushim, Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanok, Abidah, Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. The children of Keturah ended up being the ancestors of a number of nomadic peoples who lived around the, uh, the edges of the promised land. The descendants of Midian, the most well-known ones from the Bible, Midianites, uh, tribes around the area of Israel. Moses married a Midianite. Right? So his father-in-law Jethro was a descendant of Abraham. Probably a worshipper of Yahweh the God of Abraham, which incidentally, therefore, works out, helps us to work out why he's acting like a believer in the book of Exodus, um, when he's not one of the people of Israel. Later, however, the Midianites were enemies of God's people. They aligned themselves with Moab to oppose Israel when she was uh, approaching the Promised Land. Later on in the Judges, they oppressed Israel, and God had to raise up Gideon to fight against them, to free his people. So, a bit of a mixed blessing, huh? Some things were good for the people of God, some things were hard. 
But we don't know very much more about them. Why? Because this is not their story. This story, a Bible story, is there to show how God's plan and purposes for the world culminate in Jesus Christ. It's about the promises to Abraham coming true in the gospel. So the main plot line of the Bible follows that story, traces those promises through. Right? And these other things are, so we don't really find out much more about these people except when they, they interact uh, with the promise, the people of promise. Extra descendants were unpromised gifts to Abraham, and Abraham knew how to deal with them. We see it from the way he divided up his wealth. We're going to see him he's dividing up his wealth in a moment. But before we do that, let me tell you that in those days you don't write a will. Okay? And say this is my last will and testament. You know, da 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 You divide up your estate before you die. Um, and this is how Abraham carved up his earthly goods. Verses 5 and 6. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. You see, he was kind to these unpromised sons. He was generous to them. He gave them gifts. But he didn't let them interfere with the fulfillment of the promises. He could have divided everything up between them. And that would have meant that Isaac wouldn't be special. The blessing was spread out. But he didn't. He knew what to do. Set them away from Isaac. Because you see, friends, as good as the unpromised gifts may be, the priority must remain with the promises. That is the priority. All these sons Abraham had, some of them would become tribes and nations, but it was only through Isaac that Jesus would come. It was only through Isaac that salvation would come to the world. The promises were far, far bigger, far, far more important than the unpromised blessings. And so, Abraham had to deal with it accordingly. How do we deal with unpromised gifts? How do we deal with those good things that God has given us but are not really part of those promises for us? There are lots of good things. Things in our family, in our work, our money, our relationships, our health, our community. All good things. All things God gives us, though not always because they're not promised. We're thankful when we receive them. But... You must keep them in perspective. They are not central. They come in under the promises of God. And we learn how to relate to them based on the promises. The promises determine what we do with the unpromised gifts. The promises are the central things in life. The unpromised things fit around them. Because the promised blessings that we have in Christ, they are far, far bigger and far, far better. The eternal inheritance we have in Christ is far, far greater than anything on this earth. So we must make sure we keep our perspective. We must make sure we have our priorities right. 
I have friends I went to university with, fully involved in the medical cell group on campus at the time, fully involved in their church, believed the promises of God. But as their careers took off, as the children started coming in, as the wealth started pouring in, they got so caught up with it, the promises of God began to take second place, and third, and maybe forgotten altogether. Friends, never, never, never let the uncovenanted gifts get in the way of the promised blessings. Appreciate the unpromised blessings, but do not lose the cake to chase the crumbs. Abraham knew how to deal with unpromised gifts. He didn't let it interfere with the real promises. The next paragraph in our passage describes Abraham's death and burial. Once again, the emphasis switches to the promises. And the way the Spirit describes the the life, death and burial of Abraham, we actually connects back and reminds us of those promises. So what we're going to do now is look at those promises, look where God was up to in fulfilling them to Abraham, in the life of Abraham, then we're going to see where they go from there and apply to us. Some of those things will be familiar, because these are things that we've been talking about uh, for the last five, or five, five and a half months. Okay, so bear with me. You try and try and hold that together. Abraham's obituary reminds us of the promise of blessing. Right? Have a look at his obituary, verses uh, seven to eight. These are the days of the life of Ab- these are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Living to a ripe old age like that is a sign, is an Old Testament picture of blessing. Good life under God. Which is a shadow of the real blessing to come, of eternal life under God. Because remember, in the Old Testament, blessing is expressed in physical terms. That is the picture, that is the shadow for which every spiritual blessing in Christ is the reality. God made Abraham a very rich man and he gave him a long and healthy life. And that was, was blessing. He was blessed. But in terms of being a blessing to the world, that would be for his offspring. Because the ultimate blessing... The blessing of being with God forever, that was a blessing that Abraham was still waiting for. He had the blessing in part, in picture form, but he didn't have the reality yet. As for us, we have the picture now. No, we have the reality now. We have the blessing now. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. When chosen in him, Ephesians 1, before the creation of the world, forgiven through his death, adopted as his children, been given his Holy Spirit, we've told what God's plan is to bring everything together under Christ. We have it all. And yet we also wait to enjoy the blessing in its fullness. We wait for the day where faith will be turned into sight. We wait for the day when we will know as we are known. When we will be like him 
but we shall see him as he is. When we are able to live perfectly under God's rule with no more sin to tie us down. When that curse that came through sin is finally broken. We experience the reality, the ultimate blessing of perfect relationship with him. That's where blessing is going here. What about land? Well, the next thing the Spirit reminds us is about the promise of land. And we see it as we're shown the place where Abraham was buried. Uh, Ishmael and, and Isaac come together for this. But the emphasis in verses 9 and 10 is more about the place where Abraham was buried. It says, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, bury him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. See the emphasis? Keep on telling us that's the place. And remember, about two weeks ago, I think, we saw how Abraham purchased that block of land to bury Sarah. That was the first and only bit of land in the promised land that Abraham actually owned. God had promised him the whole land. Abraham had the land in promise. And this was the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so that cave and that field, that is a very special place for Abraham. And that's where he's buried. So in death he has a little bit of, of the promise. Buried in the sure and certain hope that his descendants will return and take over the whole land. And they did. As God promised, Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, came back to that land 500 years later. They took over the whole land. They lived there. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. But even that was a shadow of the ultimate fulfillment that was to come. For the real land, the real place of God's blessing is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Christ, those who are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, those who share his faith, will inherit the ultimate promised land, which is the new heaven and new earth. And that is our promise as well. We look forward to being part of that new creation. Where all God's people will live in perfect relationship with him and with each other. Where God dwells with his people and every tear is wiped away. And death and mourning and crying and pain are no more. And we live in that city with no more sin and no more shame. And meet Abraham and all God's people. And serve him forever. And like Abraham had that little bit of land guaranteeing the, the rest to come, we have been given the Spirit. The Spirit poured out at Pentecost. And we were sealed with the Spirit when we believed. That was the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Spirit enabled us to trust in the Lord Jesus as Lord, to know God as our Father, and to be changed bit by bit into His character. And that is a very precious thing, a very big thing. But even as that field is... Small compared to the whole land. All our experience of the Spirit now, even though it is so huge, is actually small compared to how we would know on that, when we come to the promised land. That's where the blessings go. Where, that's where the, the promises are going. Blessing, land, and people, descendants. And the last section of our passage reminds us of the promise of descendants. Uh, first, first of all, we are, we are reminded of the promised heir, Isaac. 
And we're given, we're given a summary of what happens to him in verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer-Lahai Roy. God blessed Isaac because Isaac was the one who was going to inherit the promises. He would become the great nation. His offspring would be the one through whom the world would be blessed. Now remember, Abraham had to wait for years and years and years before Isaac was born. Abraham had to learn to trust God, to give him that promised son, even when his wife became too old for children. He tried to have a shortcut, didn't he? By having a baby with Hagar, Sarah's maid. And God says, no. The heir I have appointed for you, the son I am promising, who will inherit my promises, will be born from Sarah. And eventually God did it. When? When Sarah was so old that it was abundantly clear that any child born to her was a miracle baby. And Isaac was that baby. And so through Isaac, God said, would come the many descendants that he has promised, inherit the land, and then bring blessing to the world. What happened? Isaac's descendants became a great nation. His son Jacob became the father of Israel, or father, father of the whole nation of Israel. And they did inherit the land. And furthermore, it was from those people that the promised offspring came. The ultimate descendant of Abraham, to whom Isaac was pointing. Because remember, Isaac was the son of promise. The one who was waited and waited for and conceived by a miracle. He was the son who was offered as a sacrifice, or was to be offered as a sacrifice. He was the son for whom the father sent his servant to, to get a bride. And Isaac pointed to the Lord Jesus, for Jesus is the true son of Abraham. The promised one who was waited for. The one who was conceived by a miracle. Offered as a sacrifice. The one whose bride, the bridegroom whose bride, the church, is being called by the father's messengers. Isaac is the one who inherited the promise and he pointed forward to his descendant, the real son of Abraham, in whom all God's promises were going to be fulfilled. And friends, we too are descendants of Abraham if we have the faith of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And when we believe God and we trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection, God counts us as righteous. Right with God, even though actually we are sinners. For when we trust in Christ, by faith we are united with Him, spiritually. He shares all our sins and He's paid for them all on the cross. And we share in His righteousness, His goodness, His innocence, in right standing with God. And we share in His blessings, those promised blessings of Abraham. And those promises that are in Him, the son of Abraham, become ours. And so by faith, we who trust in Christ inherit the promises. We are children of Abraham. God's promises to Abraham, though, were not only about Isaac, the one who was blessed, the one through whom those big P promises were going to continue. He also actually made some other promises about his other son, Ishmael. And so the second group that we're told about here, 
that we consider as we think about the God's promises to Abraham and descendants as the children of Ishmael. Ishmael, remember, he's the first son born by Hagar, the servant girl. God had previously promised that Ishmael would become a great nation as well. Uh, that he would father twelve princes. If you're taking notes, it's chapter 17, verse 20 to 21. Those were promises to Abraham. God also told his mother Hagar that Ishmael would be wild, live in opposition to his kinsmen in chapter 16, verse 12. Now look what happens in verses 12 to 18. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, we're in 12 to 18 of chapter 25. Huh? These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. Nabaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedama. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. You see, Ishmael had actually no place in God's plan of salvation. He had promises, promises to be a great nation, to get the twelve princes, all those things, but no promises to, to bless the nations through him. But God still had a plan for him. And God still kept his promises about him. And so Abraham became the father of not just, just one nation, but, but many. God still kept his promises. See, God's promises to Ishmael weren't so exciting like the promises to Isaac, were they? They don't go anywhere in salvation history. They don't end up with Jesus and salvation for the world. Just mean those descendants. That's it. But they were fulfilled. God is faithful. And the fact that Ishmael's promises were fulfilled makes us excited to see what's going to happen next to Isaac. Because the promises about Isaac are much, much, much better and much, much more extensive. And the same God who fulfilled those promises to Ishmael, sure, he's going to fulfill his promises to Isaac as well. And so, this section of the book ends on a note of expectancy. What will God do to fulfill his promise to Isaac and his descendants? How will they go on? What, what challenges will the next generation and the generation after that face as God works out his plan? Well, next year, God willing, we'll do another series. The next section of Genesis, from verse 19 of this verse to the end of chapter 36. Looking at the next two generations. Uh, Isaac, Jake, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then we'll stop there and think about Joseph after that. As far as the promises of Genesis 12 go, Abraham died without really seeing them to full fruition, didn't he? The promises of land and descendants and blessing will be fulfilled in Israel's history in a concrete and physical way. 
the land, the, the nation would become great and numerous. They'd inherit the promised land. They would live there under God's blessing and rule. But even that would just be the model, the picture, the shadow of the, the final fulfillment. That would come in the Lord Jesus as the true son of Abraham, the true place of blessing. And in him we'll receive our promises. The land, promised land of the new creation, people, those who are in Christ, the true son of Abraham, blessing, perfect relationship with God and his people outside the curse forever. When Abraham died, he hadn't seen that ultimate fulfillment. In fact, he hadn't even seen the moral. All he had was a foretaste of the model. For the land, he had a burial ground. For the people, he had one promised son. And for blessing, he had his long life and wealth. And that's all. And he would have to trust God to fulfill his promises to him after death. And God would do it. He'd do it as promised and he would do it in an even greater way than Abraham could have, could have imagined. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews wrote about Abraham and people like him. Hebrews 11.13 These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on this earth. See them, greet them from afar, but haven't got them. And yet, verse 16, see what they really desired, where the promises were really going, was a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. You can call him the God of Abraham. Isn't that amazing? God will actually let himself be called the God of Abraham. For he has prepared for them a city. See, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises in that city, the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem, Abraham will be there because of Jesus. And he will see how God has fulfilled all the promises to him in the most amazing way. So as we look back on the life of Abraham, we know we've learned many lessons along the way, but the biggest and the most important one is this. God makes promises and God fulfills his promises. Promises to Abraham dominated his life. Everything he did related to those promises, from where he lived to where he was buried. And those same promises that Abraham had have come to us. The gospel, as Paul says, was preached beforehand to Abraham in those, in those promises. It's come so clearly to us. Like Abraham, we've been called to leave everything behind, go to an unknown land. And like Abraham, if we have trusted Christ, that's what we've done. We are now in Christ. And one day we will be in the new creation. Like Abraham, we've been promised the land of blessing is our inheritance. 
Being God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule forever. Like Abraham, we've experienced a foretaste of it now. We've been given the blessing of justification, being declared right with God through Jesus. We've been given the blessing of the Holy Spirit, God himself living and working in us. But like Abraham, we are still waiting. Waiting for the final blessing of being perfect in relationship with God, in glory forever. And unless the Lord comes first, then like Abraham, we will die without seeing that promise fulfilled. But like Abraham, we will trust God to fulfill his promise after our death and bring us the inheritance to come. And like he did for Abraham, God will do it for us. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, look forward to the inheritance. Live with the promises of God in view. Hold fast to the gospel promises you have received. Be thankful for the unpromised blessings you have, but never let them, or the lack of them, distract you from your real blessings. Blessings that have come through God's gospel promises received in Christ. Being God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule, now and forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of your servant Abraham. Thank you for the way that you loved him even before the foundation of the world. And that by your grace and your grace alone you called him, an idol worshipper, to know you and to be your servant. And to be the start of this wonderful line that comes and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus and and now even includes us as well. We thank you for the way that you called him from Ur and brought him to the promised land. Thank you for the way that you made those great promises to him. The way you kept those promises. In Israel's history, especially in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for preserving him. We know that he made mistakes and sin along the way. And yet your promises were secure. We thank you that you taught him to keep those promises central. Our Father, we, we pray that we would be like him in his faith in you that we would trust you and your promises all the days of our life that we would know your promised blessings here and now forgiveness your spirit thank you pray that we would be grateful for those unpromised blessings that you give us. 
But please, Father, help us to keep them in the right perspective. Please, Father, keep us faithful to you like, like Abraham. To the very end. And please, Father, would you fulfill those promises to us so that when we stand in glory with Abraham and all your people, we'll look back and say, what a wonderful thing that you have done. And how kind and gracious you've been to us in Jesus. We thank you for the many things that we've learned and experienced through reading your word and studying these, these chapters from Genesis. We pray that you help us to always remember that you are God who keeps your promises. And let's always be willing to trust you no matter what happens. We pray this in Jesus' name.